Salutations and welcome to PodCharge episode 19. We'd like to kick off the show with an exciting announcement. We've gone mobile. Now, 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 hold your applause. Now you and your loved ones can listen to our witty and totally unscripted banter through your cellular devices. Did you guys not have phones? Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's good to be back. Good to be back in the saddle. Back with a great 19th episode for you. Um, we're just gonna get right into the action. Go right into rant or rave. So with that, let's get into it. All right. So uh, we've got to condense a lot, don't we, Crow? Yep. We're gonna have to speed through this shit. It is currently midnight for me, and we've had a very rough start. So you have no idea. <laughs> We're a little out of practice and a little high on life. We've had a lot going on in our on our lives, so we're just glad to get back rolling again, hopefully get back in a more consistent schedule, and uh, keep delivering news in the best way that we know how to the two listeners that we have. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Actually, we might have lost a few listeners over this hiatus. Yeah, we're starting from rock bottom again, so... <laughs> We didn't get very far off of rock bottom to begin with. No, it's a steep climb, and now it's even steeper. And I've only gotten heavier. My boots uh, more tattered. We can't dwell on this. We got to keep going. So rant or rave. Yeah, we've got we've got three good things that we've got for rant or rave uh, in the while that we've been gone. And the first one was actually at the request of Crow. I began watching My Hero Academia, which I had no initial impressions of that other than Crow saying it was a phenomenal anime and that he strongly believed that I would really like it. Uh, and he was right, as he typically is with his recommendations. I loved My Hero Academia so much that I binged through all three seasons that have been released in less than two weeks. And you started reading the manga. And I started reading the manga and I could gush about it forever. It's got phenomenal animation, one of the best anime that I've seen, and extremely emotional, uh, some of the best scenes that I've seen. And yeah, uh, it is great. If you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend that you check it out. You won't regret it. And I heard the fourth season just started on Crunchyroll. I have yet to see it because I don't have Crunchyroll. But, um, and Judge can attest to this, it's going to be off to a hell of a start. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to be extremely psyched to see how they animate some of the things that are about to happen in this arc that's coming up. In the spirit of moving along, PlayStation Classic just dropped. Sony, what the fuck? Yeah, you know, it sucks because it's I, I love all of these consoles, these retro consoles, and so many other people love it. I mean, this was the heyday for us. This is what got me started on gaming was the PlayStation 1. So with Nintendo bringing about this basically resurgence of classic gaming, 
with the release of their NES Classic a couple years back. It seems like everyone's been wanting to cash in on this, and Sony definitely just got in on this to just cash in because this thing is sloppy. Uh, I don't know how much you've heard about it, Crow, but essentially, really shoddy job in terms of emulation. They included several ROMs on this thing that are PAL region, which run way slower than the NTSC versions that we're accustomed to. And so some of the games are just completely unplayable. Like Tekken, can't even play it. It's so slow and choppy, it's, it shouldn't even be included. Also should have mentioned that they're just running all of this on a publicly open source emulator. It's, it's, it's a mess. Uh, and they've already dropped it down to, I think, $70. 70 oh, or wow. $75. So yeah, it's, it wasn't received very well for good reason. I hadn't heard all that. I thought it was kind of meh from the get-go just because, you know, most of the most if not all of those games have either been ported or remastered or, you know, what have you on modern gens, if not, you know, like you said, emulators. Like you said they they were cashing in on the idea, the nostalgia factor. Haha, <laughs> see episode 5 or whatever the fuck number it was. Um, but yeah, they they didn't need to go there. No, the only bonus points that they get really is the fact that they uh they put Persona Revelations or Revelations Persona on there, the very first Persona game, which is very expensive if you wanted to buy that like physically. So I mean, points good on them, but it's just it was very they didn't handle this situation very well. They were just trying to cash in and make a quick buck, and it's blatantly obvious that that was what they were trying to do. So, but I mean, people have already hacked it. So there's that. <laughs> Yay. You know, <laughs> and they've already done some pretty great things with hacking. So check out the hacking scene for the PlayStation Classic if you're interested. But Potash does not endorse any criminal activities associated with the PlayStation Classic system. Yeah, we're not condoning hacking, but it's pretty you know, dope, though. <laughs> it's pretty cool to look at. So Crow got his Vita. Crow just got a Vita. And and why did you get the Vita? Because you recommended it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Gotta give you props wherever they come. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, so honestly, I got the Vita because Sony had announced the end of physical Vita games, I believe, or just Vita games in general. I can't remember which, but production's been like slowing down for the longest time. Everybody's known that the Vita is like approaching its death for a while. But at the same time, everybody has always said that it's like the most underrated portable console out there. And I've just kind of reached a point where I was like, uh, I don't think Persona Golden, Persona 4 Golden is ever going to get ported to the PS4 because it just doesn't really fit the console at this point. And I still really want to play it. And I've got several pretty good Vita games that I downloaded courtesy of PlayStation Plus. And because they're going to stop production, I don't want it to come out as a fucking Vita classic. I don't want that to be when I get it. So I was like, yeah, let me jump on it now. Spontaneous impulse buy. But I had a bit of credit saved up on Amazon from like Christmas and birthdays and shit like that from the past. So I was able to get it for about $40 hard cash on my end and then draining the rest of the credit that I had. So not too bad. I've already got Golden. 
got Bastion to play, got the God of War games for it. You know, I'm about to have some fun. For sure. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts, both directly and also through the show as well. And now it is time for our week. Wait a minute. For our month. Fuck. For our half a year in review. It's been quite some time. <laughs> At least we had a little bit of humor with getting into this section. So, yeah, lots dropped. We're going to try to rush through the game releases at least pretty quickly, as well as most of this content. We'll, we'll try to pause where we can, though. The most immediate releases that just came out, Super Smash Brothers, which is... Sorry, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, which is what fucking everybody and their mother and their grandmother's grandmother have been waiting on for the longest now, dropped this week. Yep, uh, on the night of the Game Awards, actually. Yeah, I'm glad that you uh, corrected yourself and added the ultimate, ultimate mo- yeah. modifier. Oh yeah, uh, that that makes all the difference. Yep, comes with I think every character that's ever been in Smash Brothers plus a few new ones. Joker from Persona Five was announced as a DLC, so we were both hyped over that. I'm not personally a big fan of Smash, but. I appreciate it for what it does and for the culture that surrounds it. So and I'm, I'm sure Judge is going to have a lot of great things to say about it. And if I ever get a, a Nintendo Switch, I probably will as well. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal unifying experience. And the fact that it's going so it's going cross platform now is just insane. Making all of I just can't believe all the characters that they're adding to it. So it's pretty cool. Uh, not too long ago, we had Red Dead Redemption 2 drop, got that day one, great game, I mean, that, that shouldn't shock anyone, Rockstar's production value is top notch, and I've, I could talk about it for a while, probably we'll have some, have a slow drip feed of thoughts coming at you guys in the next couple of episodes about it, but suffice it to say, it's a, it's a good game. And then we had the Persona Dancing Games come out, which Crow got, and I'm not sure if he's got any thoughts on those. Yeah, man, it came with a free Weeb card. It was pretty great. Oh, cool. I need one of those. I, you've, you've, you've got an honorary one. So, yeah, um, Persona Dancing Games got three and five as a bundle, and it came with a download for four on the PlayStation 4, which I've been wanting to play. Thought I was going to get that on the Vita until like they announced it like right as I got the Vita. And I was like, well, might as well wait, get the get it with the full bundle. Yeah, it's kind of fun so far i'm not really used to rhythm games on the ps4 the only rhythm game that i've played so far i've been on the nintendo 3ds so it's taking some getting used to but you know it's fan service which i'm i'm here for i'm looking forward to getting them and playing them but as of this moment i have not purchased them yet waiting it's, it's there's a lot of good games coming out right now speaking of which good game that we got I also got this on the same day that Red Dead Redemption 2 came out, one of those rare times where I actually bought two games at the same time. Uh, My Hero One's Justice came out, and <laughs> we've had some uh, we've had some pretty fun times with this one. By that, he means that he's had fun watching my reactions as he kicks my ass. Uh, I wouldn't say that. You've had a couple of nights that have tilted me pretty hard, but 
you know, it's not fun to play against Todoroki and Dobby spamming. So, uh, you know. That's what you did. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's a good game. It's a good game. It's already been on sale. Don't know if you saw that. I think it got marked down to 40 or 30. So just like I knew it would, but it's, it's a good game. They've had a couple of DLC patches come out for it with a couple of new characters. And I haven't checked it out, but we'll probably get back into playing it soon, hopefully. Yep, basically like JoJo. It's the ultimate fan service for somebody that wanted to see My Hero Academia as a video game in the West. And it's it's pretty good. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty. It's a pretty game. And it's got some funny voice lines. Big gripe with it is that it doesn't have subtitles, which was pretty weird to me. So you can't really see what... You can buy voice lines for the characters, but you can't see what they actually... I mean, you don't know what they're saying. Unless you know Japanese. Yep. Which I don't. So there's that. And then we've got a couple more just to get out of here real quick. We had The Amazing Spider-Man come out to critical acclaim. Really good game. Haven't played it myself, but I know several people that have, and they love it. And then we had the Spyro Remastered Trilogy come out, which Catnado has told me great things about. I haven't gotten it, but I want to get it. That's all, folks. Yeah, and then we've got some... uh, Oh, patch notes. Shit. Yeah, (laughs) a lot of patch notes. So a lot has come and gone in the past three-ish months. We had Ash get introduced to Overwatch. Really fun DPS character. What are your thoughts on Ash? You know, I've been playing her quite a bit, mostly in pursuit of her second trophy that I haven't gotten yet. But I like her quite a bit. She strikes me as a cross between like Widowmaker and McCree. Um, she's very mobile. She's pretty good for mid to long range attacks. Um, her ultimate is a real game changer when it comes to like control points. You can use her. Uh, sorry, you can use her ult Bob to try and like beat people, but you can also use it to direct the flow of the enemy into a different, like to where you want them to go. Um, so there's a lot of ways you can strategically use it. And it's just, Ash is a fun character to play, unexpe- which was kind of unexpected to me. Very fun character to play. And Bob is extremely annoying to go against, but can be used in some very strategic ways. It's not fun to go against a team full of Ashes in No Limits. <laughs> yeah, that was a really painful way to get introduced. Yeah, yeah, it was. But she's a good character. Similar note, we've got um, Warcraft 3 Reforged was also introduced at BlizzCon. I don't think it's been announced for console, which kind of bums me out. I was hoping with the success of Diablo 3 that it would be coming to PlayStation. But to my knowledge, it has not yet gone that direction. It's exciting for fans of the uh, traditional Warcraft series, but I just got to say I felt so betrayed whenever I saw the trailer for it because it looked like a new Diablo trailer and then <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that more later, though. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about our uh, good old faithful game, Dead by Daylight. We had the Hallowed Blight event, which was a real solid event that had some awesome, awesome cosmetics that I didn't end up getting because I'm an <laughs> idiot. And we are currently in the middle or I guess I should say the beginning of the Winter Solstice event, um, which doesn't really have any cosmetics. I think you've got like the uh, the frosty eyes for the newest killers that have come out. 
speaking of which, we've got the Spirit and the Legion have come out since the last time that we had an episode. Um, Spirit is a pretty interesting character. She's kind of similar to the nurse, I guess, except a little bit less infuriating to play as. And then uh, Legion, really sick character design. I've heard mostly negative to mixed reactions about the gameplay, though. Yeah, he he had to have some tweaking. Uh, he was pretty bad whenever they brought him into the PTB, but he's improved quite a bit. But he's still not he's still not a great killer. He's a good pipper. Uh, he's not a good killer. So. So yeah. Um, and as Judge said, the cosmetics for the Hallowed Blight event were fantastic. Uh, there was a little bit of controversy about that because unlike previous um, events for Dead by Daylight, they offered people to buy them. Like, And that's still an ongoing thing is that people can buy these skins, which is good because it would have been a waste to only limit people to like one or two sets and not give them the option, the option to get the rest. But uh, one of the perks for previous events had been that it was like, you know, an event only item that couldn't purchase. So I don't know. Thoughts on that? I mean, you know, I'm kind of used to it now. <laughs> they, uh, It's kind of annoying. It is annoying. But those were some sick cosmetics. And I, I don't really remember all the stuff that happened with them. I think that wasn't it where they said that initially... You could only get like one cosmetic and then they made it so you could get two for free. You could get one set's worth of cosmetics. So that would have been three items. And then they upped it to two later on after a lot of backlash. Understandably, but I mean, they were really good. Probably the best cosmetics that have been in the game ever. Oh, I agree. I would probably buy some of them at some point if I decide to get some more of those cells. Yeah. And then we're enjoying the uh, Winter Solstice event right now quite a bit too because it uh it hit us with a lot of nostalgia because this is about the time whenever we started playing the game for the first time. So it's like all of the same music on the home screen, all of the same cosmetics in the sense that uh, like the game's decorated the way it was when we first came in. So it's been nice to revisit all of that the way it was whenever we first started playing the game. So having a lot of fun with that. For sure. We've also had uh, a few Overwatch events since the last time we were doing an episode. Uh, the Halloween event and the, what's it called? Winter Wonderland event? Yes. Um, they both had some decent cosmetics. Not really much in the way of uh, gameplay updates, but I don't really have a problem with that. And then also on an Overwatch note, uh, they just came out with Overwatch Legos. Which I think the only thing I've seen so far has been like maybe Bastion. Like you could build a Bastion. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was an Overwatch Lego video game when I first saw them advertising it. Which actually sounded pretty sick. I would have loved to have seen that. And I felt like it was, it would have been a fairly appropriate video game. But they didn't do that. So, you know, I'm still over here holding my breath for the next uh, teaser with them. Certainly would have been interesting to see an Overwatch Lego game. I agree. I think it would actually be fitting, which is weird to say. But, I mean, I kind of would be interested in seeing that. All right. What else? Castlevania just dropped Season 2. I don't know if you've had a chance to see any of Castlevania, but 
Oh my god. I, I read a, uh, I don't remember who the author was, but I read a review for season two the other day. Not the other day, actually before I started watching season two. Um, and they hyped it up so much. They were like, this is the epitome of video games turned into anime. Like, as far as animated series based on video games, this is like the gold standard right now. And I don't disagree. It's just, it's so good. I strongly encourage you to watch it. And I will watch it. Probably over the break, actually. You should. Start from scratch, watch the whole thing through. As long as you have the time, you're not going to regret it. We uh, we probably should have mentioned this whenever we were talking about the Halloween events, but the new Halloween movie came out, which didn't see it, but I heard that it had some pretty interesting plot twists in it that uh, really were significant. I have yet to see it either, which really upsets me because I really wanted to watch that. Yeah, I mean, it'll be out on DVD soon, so Just probably watch it the then. holidays. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then we'll kind of just get through these last couple pretty quick. Pretty monumental change in the terms of uh, how Sony regulates their online stuff. You can actually change your gamer tag on PlayStation now, which is something that Sony fans have been asking for for a very long time. I was asking for it for a very long time, and now I guess I don't care about it anymore because I'm going to stay as the potato. The prestiged potato. Prestiged potato. I'm not going to change it. It was initially a gag account, and now it is something that is endearing to me. And uh, Final Fantasy XIV, there's a crossover event going on with Final Fantasy XV and Final Fantasy XIV, which I have not checked out, but Crow's probably going to check it out. And also, we decided to try playing Final Fantasy XIV, and... Uh, we probably won't get too deep into our thoughts on it, but I am not playing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and Crow is not playing it yet anymore. He he'll he'll get back into it, I guarantee probably. But oh, I'm, I'm probably uh, I'm probably not going to just because of the pricing model of the subscription. And the last thing here that I, I want to mention is that uh we had the game awards that Jeff Keeley sponsors and puts on every year and it's honestly one of the most cringy events that is ever put on but this year was actually really good uh there were only a couple of cringy moments but the game of the year was god of war and then red dead redemption to pretty much won everything else which catnado was not happy about she wanted detroit become human to win a couple of them and there were a couple that i felt like that game did have a real solid shot at but Red Dead stole the show, and God of War is game of the year. you have any thoughts on that? I didn't watch too much of that show. <laughs> uh, my my phone was getting blown up between Judge and Cat texting each other like, oh my god, I can't believe this. This should have won. And I'm just like, uh, this, this is a dumb show. It's like, it's like the Grammys. Like, I like music. I appreciate music. I don't give a damn about the awards, though. <laughs> I was pretty depressed. Uh, I mean, if we're going to do real talk here, I honestly get excited every year for the Game Awards now because that's typically when Hideo Kojima shows off new trailers for Death Stranding, and we got blue-balled, and it didn't happen. (laughs) We didn't get a new Death Stranding trailer, but we have gotten new Death Stranding information, so that's good. I'm just waiting for that game to come out. Also, Kingdom Hearts 3 is coming out 
next month and I am fangirling and having heat flashes over it. So <laughs> congrats. All right. Thank you. It's my right of passage. All right. I think we blew through that fairly quickly, actually. Let's move on to the main topic. What does it mean to be a developer? Also, kind of like the subtext of being a studio. And what brought this on, Crow? Um, BlizzCon, man. <laughs> I think there were a lot of mixed reactions to... Well, so anybody that's seen the 2018 BlizzCon... There were so many infamous, cringy moments from that. It was so bad. And we incorporated a few of those into our opening to pay homage to the greats that uh, might have gotten fired over that event. All hail, red shirt 2.0, dude's <laughs> a god. god. We'll see. And that's that's part of the reason that we're talking about this is because of the mixed reactions over that. Red shirt 2.0 is a god is one interpretation. The other interpretation is are gamers entitled for thinking shit like where the fuck is Diablo 4? I'm just going to be a dick to a guy that's essentially scapegoating for an entire corporation. You know, I think it was a dick move that he pulled, but I also feel like Blizzard had to be called out on that shit because we're seeing some really heavy, uh, influence from activision like you can tell the business model is all activision at this point yeah it really is basically what we're going to do for the duration of the show from this point forward is we're going to kind of track studios and kind of try to do a deep dive into what it means to be a studio now and how they're being influenced by perhaps the umbrella corporations that own them and basically try to just get down to the heart of you know what it is to be a developer what it is to be a studio collaborating with these people and having these overlords over you, either manipulating you or pulling the strings. And Blizzard is such a staple example here because, you know, we've we've heard this for years. It is Activision Blizzard. I mean, we've heard that forever now. But up until this point, it seems like Activision has really let Blizzard operate under their normal procedures and what like normal things that they do blizzard's been pretty much being blizzard and now it is just blatantly apparent like you said that activision is really just ham-fisting their business models and their ideas into blizzard and it's ruining the company like it's rotting the company yeah we've got that side of it we've got the the corporate side of things but then we've also got what do studios owe to their games like some games are made for monetary value some games are made to be art some games are made to appease the fans what is the line there if there is one because we talked about the persona dancing games that came out and obviously that's a very niche market first you got to be a fan of persona then you've got to be a fan of rhythm games and it's like these are spinoffs that are like almost solely for the sake of profit. Like we're going to make a fairly subpar story built around characters, you know, and love and see who will buy into that. And we recognize that I don't have a problem with that. Like I willingly went out and bought like the whole three game set of the dancing games. Cause that's something I don't have a problem with, but I feel like it, I don't know. What's the line? Cause 
the biggest problem that everybody had with uh, the BlizzCon announcement was that Diablo Immortal had been teased at this event and everybody had been expecting Diablo 4. Um, Blizzard made it sound like they were going to have a huge announcement and they their huge announcement was a friggin' mobile game that nobody ever wanted. Is it selfish of us, the fans, to think that, to be angry about that? Or is it, or is it wrong of Blizzard to... Well, A, I don't think that... I'm biased. I don't think that many people can view mobile games as like true art. Like there are some exceptions. I don't doubt that at all. But for the most part, a game a game franchise like Diablo, I don't think you can squeeze that into a mobile app and call it a genuine game. You you mentioned it at the top of this section. You know, Redshirt 2.0 has vocalized an opinion that has become so polarizing because it's really highlighting the crossroads that we're at when it comes to what it means to be a studio. So in the persp- from the perspective of a fan, and we can talk about this it, probably the most clearly out of any of these little subsections we've got here because we are avid fans of many game franchises. So a lot of people complain that Redshirt 2.0, whenever he stood up and asked if it was an April Fool's joke, was an entitled, rude fan of a game franchise that should not have made his opinion known at this event. And then you've got another group or another camp, like you mentioned, that think that this was a service that he was doing. He was being a voice of the true fans and that Blizzard needed to kind of be knocked down on this and to sort of be just chastised a little bit over this. I'm coming from the camp of, I don't think that there was a problem with him saying that. I think that it needed to be said because the mobile game strategy is where Activision is pushing Blizzard into. And I don't know if you saw this, but Blizzard has had interviews where they have said that they're working on mobile games for every IP that they have. Every one of them. So you got Diablo, you got Warcraft, you got Overwatch, you got all of Starcraft, you got all of these, and they're saying they're working and devoting a lot of their resources to mobile game development. That's the business model of Activision. That's not what Blizzard does. Blizzard traditionally makes really good games, really polished games for PC mainly, and then consoles. So what is this about? Like, Blizzard can't act independently anymore because they're not the people that are footing the bill. Activision is. And I, my, my problem is that I, I come more from the, from the camp that thinks that Redshirt Guide 2 was crossing a line but at the same time i agree that blizzard definitely needed to be taken down for they need to be called out for their bullshit because without any kind of public outrage without any kind of dissent it's just going to continue they're just going to continue their shitty business model that activision's pushing on them but at the same time i also recognize that there are people that make the games and, you know, we've been hearing this a lot lately, especially with Telltale Games, Rockstar, um, Bethesda. There, there have been so many incidents in the world of game developers recently that we have to keep coming back to the point that developers are people. Like, it, it's really clear that this mobile strategy is just a quick cash grab. Like, 
I don't think anybody's denying that. But at the same time, it's the cash grab of a larger corporation. But the people that are going to be working on these games, that are going to be making these games, these are probably people that are taking their job very seriously and trying to think of it as a work of art. You know, I don't think of mobile gaming generally as a work of art, as, as something like artistic, as something beautiful. I think of it, you know, for the microtransactions and the and the mindless entertainment while you're like riding a bus or something. But for the people that are like stuck working on this, that are devoted to a game franchise that's like part of a bigger franchise, that's something that they really care about. I don't think we can knock them for a company's shitty decisions. I don't know. If, have you ever heard of a YouTuber called Riker? Yeah, I watch his videos all the time. Oh, great. So... I don't know if you saw his reaction to this because he was kind of live tweeting during BlizzCon and his reactions were fairly neutral in his tweets, but he did a YouTube special over not just BlizzCon, but even over Bethesda. He, he, he talked about a few of the gaming scandals, if you want to call it that, that have been going on recently. And he made a point about Blizzard that I thought was really interesting. He, he said that Blizzard was kind of like a parent who is taking their kid to the dentist and the parent tells their kid that they're going to Disneyland and the kid believes them and then gets pissed off when they get to the dentist and says, fuck you, mom. And, you know, the parent was in the wrong, but they've never been told to fuck off by their own kid before. So they feel indignant about it. He, I agree very, very much with that opinion, with that assertion that Blizzard has been, you know, a heavy hitter in the world of gaming for so long that when they fuck up, when they slip up, like they, they aren't accepting culpability for this. If you've noticed, like they will say things like, uh, we're sorry you feel this way. We're sorry that we misled you on your expectations for Diablo. They're not apologizing for creating a mobile game though. They're in full PR mode. And in fairness, I guess full PR mode is slightly better than what Bethesda is doing right now. <laughs> let's let let's just let's backpedal a little bit. Blizzard there's no way that Blizzard wanted to do this, right? We can we can both agree that there's no way that Blizzard wanted to make a mobile game of Diablo. You had a director for I think Call of Duty come out during BlizzCon and people openly booed at him. <laughs> so like I don't think that there's any delusions about what people want and don't want as far as in the grand scheme of things, but when you have when you have a different master pulling at your collar, you're kind of forced to go along with him. Um and I think that's one of the biggest problems with this corporate uh studios if you want to call it that. You know, we've talked about we've talked a lot about Square in the past. I think uh Katnado, she she identifies the Final Fantasy games being good pretty much up until right after Square joined with Enix and became, sorry, when Squaresoft joined with Enix, whatever the fuck Enix used to be, and became Square Enix. She she identifies that being the point that it started going downhill, like right after Final Fantasy X. I don't necessarily agree. I think that they're still decent, but I also see where she's coming from because that's where you start to really get this corporate influence between these two organizations that have merged into like one superpower collective. Yeah, and I, 
I don't know. It's just you can tell that the the creative freedom. I, I'm I'm looking at this in the terms in terms of Blizzard. I just feel like they're being pulled a direction that they don't want to go. That's just the impression I have of it. I mean, maybe they did have aspirations to make solid mobile games at some point whenever maybe the technology got better and it could offer a more console-level experience. But you know there's going to be microtransactions in this game. There's something off about it. And it just it's not consistent with Blizzard's prior behavior, like how they tackle games development. And I think what really... like If, if there was one thing about this whole situation that really just pissed people off, it's the fact that it's mobile exclusive. Like you're talking about a company that's very well known for making PC games that have started branching out those PC games into the console uh, genre. And so it's like, okay, it's fine if you want to bring this stuff to mobile. It's fine if you want to bring it to more crowds or whatever. That's cool. But the the scene where the guy's like, uh, what, don't you guys have phones? You know, that was a reaction to a question where a guy asked, hey, I've noticed it uses a lot of the same specs as previous Diablo games. Is this going to go, are there any plans for this to come to PC or console? And they said, no, it's just going to be mobile. So it's like, you can't suddenly alienate your core audience by refusing to bring a game that's specifically branching off from a PC series only to mobile. That was just such a desperate cry. I feel so bad for Wyatt Chang because, you know, I feel like he was the martyr. Oh, definitely. Like he, he had to get up there and try to pitch this to a bunch of hardcore PC gamers, and he had to close out the main opening ceremony of BlizzCon, which is traditionally for the biggest announcement. He had to close that out with a mobile game, and he had to try to make people excited about it. Yeah, and that's why I belong to the camp that thinks that it was a dick move to ask if it was an April Fool's joke out of season April Fool's joke because this is this guy like he was put on the spot. This, that was some bullshit, man. <laughs> it, God, like if I was in his shoes, I might have like fucking broken down on stage and just started bawling or told the audience to fuck off or something because that was just a hard place to be in. So yeah, that's the perspective from the fans. You know, we have this immense fan outcry because we all wanted Diablo 4, looking at this perspective, towards Blizzard, right? So the fans have an expectation that they need to be met, and that is who you're selling your product to. Whether you look at that as being the strategy for profit or the strategy for success in terms of just feeling fulfilled, you need to satisfy your fans So that's from the fan's perspective. Now, if we look at this from the stockholder's perspective, if we look at this from the investor's perspective, it's just, you can clearly see that there is a hampered creative drive is not able to flourish under the current economic expectations that are imposed upon by these people that are investing in these companies. Call of Duty. Call of Duty is a franchise that sells really, really well. Uh, obviously, a behemoth in the gaming industry makes a ton of money. Well, you take a look at Black Ops 4, just came out, and it still sold a ton of copies, but even with the millions of copies that it sold, it's still not good enough, and like the investors are freaking out 
and trying to figure out how they're going to be able to push their numbers back up. They're just, they have such a high bar set that they're trying to raise it even higher. And at this point, that's really hard to do for them. They're already at such a sky high level. So what can you do with that? You know, like it just feels like they're becoming stale. Yeah. And I think we've, you know, we've talked about the corporate versus the, I guess, gamers versus the fans versus the consumers. And I think also, too, though, it kind of boils down to, like, what was the intent of the series? What was the intent of the game? What was the intent of, I guess, the whole? Because, you know, we see things like, like I've actually read a few Game Informer magazines that talked about, like, the origins of things like Diablo. And you could tell, like, at the beginning, there was, like, some actual fucking heart behind it. Like, this was back when technology was a lot less refined, but they had a real sense of where they were going with it. You've got plenty of game series um, and studios today that are, like, still kind of pushing the envelope. You know, we've talked about Naughty Dog quite a bit because we feel like it's it's a series, or, sorry, it's a studio that still publishes games that have personality, art, reflect social mores have artistic expression yada 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 so it's like at what point does this kind of corporate influence begin to collapse at what point does the artistic expression start to de-escalate or degrade into the corporate because we got to make money you understand that games have to make money otherwise they failed as a series and they're going to be shelved. There's going to be no sequels, no spinoffs, no continued investment in it. We get that. We we know that they have to make money. It's just that the model has become so alienating for customers, probably for the people that work in these studios. What's the answer? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that's that's a good segue for that because you look at you look at the financial pressures, just like you mentioned, and you see that just like you said, got to make money, but at what cost do you have to make money? And that's where you see these really depressing, sad stories about people in companies like Telltale Games. I mean, it's just such a miserable story to look into. You know, you've got all of these people that are working under the assumption that their company is doing fine and that they're making really good products and they're, you know, they're fine. Financially, they're fine. And then just all of a sudden, short notice, they're told that they're losing their jobs. Uh, they're not getting severance. No insurance. Nothing. Some of these people are living paycheck to paycheck. They've got a family. And it's like these people are pouring their hearts and souls into making games that their fans will be proud of. Like their hearts are in the right place. So you've got dedicated developers, but the pervasion of money and financial gain is corrupting that creative and artistic talent. And then you got the flip side. You got like, uh, these are the, the star, the starving artists that are creating video games for us. But then we've also got the salary workers, like the people that work at rockstar, you know, rockstar came under scrutiny for a little while. I mean, I guess they're kind of still under scrutiny, but, Nobody really cares because Red Dead was so good. Um, but, you know, I think somebody bragged or maybe they were exaggerating, but they said something like, oh, yeah, we're working 100-hour work weeks. 
hundred-hour work weeks, not not work periods, not not every two weeks, but every week they were claiming one hundred hours. And I think a, a lot of the investigations that were done about that kind of revealed that that was exaggeration. But at the same time, they were still a lot of these were still pushing like fifty, sixty hours a week, which is still pretty outrageous. And it, it, it's a culture of like you're not necessarily forced to do this, but you're gonna get fired or you're gonna go bottom of the totem pole if you don't put in extra work. You're not getting like any overtime, or I don't think you're even getting paid in general if you go beyond that. You're just expected to pour your heart and soul and livelihood into this product that you're making. They've kind of stressed like, oh yeah, well the bonuses are so good, especially if the game does well. So we don't want you to stop buying the game just because you're outraged over these working conditions, because then we suffer even more if we don't get that bonus. So it's like, what can we do other than public outcry while we play (laughs) a slave labor game? I mean, not really. I'm exaggerating right now, but you get the idea. These are kind of harsh working conditions for 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 anybody in in the modern world, I guess. And it's not just harsh for them once they get into the working environment. It's harsh for them. I mean, they're being fed a lie to even get into the company. I don't know if you've seen or read about some of the companies like Blizzard, for instance. Blizzard is supposed to be like a dream studio. You know, like if you're a game developer if you want to shoot high, you want to work for Blizzard and Blizzard knows that everyone wants to work for them. So they abuse that. They abuse their reputation to draw people in. And then once they're working for them, they cut corners because they think that you in your mind feel like it's a privilege to work there. Oh yeah. Everybody's expendable. And it's not just Blizzard who does that. I mean, jumping a little bit outside of the video game realm, you've got Wizards of the Coast, too. They do the same thing. So, like, everyone wants to be an artist for, like, Magic the Gathering cards. Everyone wants to work on that game. but And they know that. So, I mean, it's, like, similar working conditions. So you've got these people that are really honestly just trying to fulfill their personal dream and share the fruits of their labor, the fruits of their dreams with us and we've got this middleman of a studio with like corporate figureheads and everything that are a huge wall that impede that transferal between the two of us. So that kind of leads into this like resurgence or this just boom in indie studios. You know, we've seen so many indie studios that have come out probably the past 10 years and it's never been more accessible and easy for you to make your own video game. We've seen all of these success stories with like indie developers, you know, you've got Super Meat Boy, which was like a hugely popular indie game. You've got Fez, which was a really popular puzzle platformer. You've got Hellblade, Edith Finch, the Cuphead. Stardew Valley, really popular, like Harvest Moon. You know, like, it's crazy. And, and I think that that is a response You know, you've got these indie game developers that are rising up and the increased popularity. And I think that that's a direct response to this corruption that you see in AAA studios. And you can tell, like, the quality of these indie games is phenomenal. You know, you've got small team sizes. I mean, sometimes people, Stardew Valley was made by one guy over the course of, like, six years or something. 
crazy. And it's a great high quality game. People loved it. Uh, so you've got smaller team sizes. You've got more of a familial atmosphere. You would almost think that eventually with the way that the gaming climate's going, indie gaming might actually get to the level, if not supersede AAA gaming in some aspects, but there are still some bottlenecks that are inherent to being an indie developer that keep it from just being all sunshine and roses. Namely, the money. <laughs> the money, the marketing influence. Resources, people. Connections, yeah. I mean, God, the, can you imagine forming connections and just kind of trying to foot this all by yourself? I mean, these are people that typically have jobs, like they've got full-time jobs, and they're just developing these games in their free time like at night. That's true passion right there. They're fulfilling their dreams, and they're taking the road that is harder by not going and working for these studios that are typically abusing their employees. I mean, the only studio can... I mean, we've we've been kind of doom and glooming it throughout a lot of this, but there is one studio that ha- is... I mean, CD Projekt Red. Everyone loves CD Projekt Red. They've had a little bit of scrutiny. Some people have come out and said that the working conditions there aren't that good, but I think that there's been a lot of pushback against that, and they seem like a pretty good studio. But that's the only AAA gaming studio that I can think of right now that is actually like revered by the public and ev- everyone feels like they're a good AAA company. Yeah, I don't know. I think also it's kind of interesting going back to... You, you mentioned that uh, indie gaming might be like a, re- a response to the kind of growing rot of these companies, of these AAA studios. I also think it's interesting to point out that in a lot of ways, they're tapping into the nostalgia factor in ways that AAA games or, or uh, AAA studios try to, but with you know less money, less resources, yada yada yada. And then they're also innovating at the same time. I just recently bought Bastion and Transistor for the Vita. Well, sorry, Transistor for the PS4, Bastion for both Vita and PS4. And I was like, since I'm in the middle of playing Persona 4 Golden right now. I decided that I'm going to wait until I've beaten that before I get onto these games. But one thing I did was like start researching like some of the video uh, game reviews, and I started looking into some of the stuff about Supergiant. And at the Game Awards, they had announced an, a new game coming out called Hades, and it looks sick as anything. I guess what I'm getting at is like they're also innovating in ways that they're taking risks that a lot of these AAA studios maybe don't feel they can afford to or their investors wouldn't like or their corporate masters won't allow whatever the case may be and so it's re- it's just refreshing <laughs> it really makes me want to support these indie studios if nothing else than for these reasons yeah it's kind of like the typical everybody loves an underdog thing i instinctively whenever i see an indie developer that's like making a game i feel more inclined to root for them and support them and there's just the quality of the games that they're putting out now just so good that it's hard not to support them and i think that we can kind of wrap this conversation up a little bit by i, I i'm not sure if you saw this but uh, there's been some speculation that we may indeed be heading towards another video game crash solely because the indicators that are there typically a sign that the industry is in trouble is whenever like game design and core development becomes stagnant and games start to s- 
be largely the same and play conservatively and not take risks in terms of new things that they try to do. And if you take games and you look at them, really, there hasn't been very many, there haven't been very many standouts. It's been pretty, I mean, these games have been pretty comparable. You take announcements like, uh, you know, you got Fallout, right? And then you've got Rage 2 and you've got Far Cry, this new Far Cry game. They've all got the same aesthetics. They've all got the same post-apocalyptic setting, kind of taking a humorous approach to it. It seems like people, they're playing it safe. There aren't very many risks being taken. I mean, aside from Hideo Kojima, but, you know, that dude, that dude's just in a world of his own anyway. But anyway, there's a speculation that we may be heading towards a little bit of a crash. Uh, And I think that with our conversation that we just had about indies, uh, indie studios, that would just give them even more of an environment to thrive uh, and maybe make their prominence in the industry even more well-known. So I guess really what's happening here is I'm kind of a sucker for indies, man. Like, I love the spirit behind their, it's got, they've got like that entrepreneurial spirit. They, their passion shines through clearer. There's less muck that they have to wade through in terms of like people and suits to get their dreams realized. I don't know. It's pretty admirable. So with all that being said, what is uh, the answer to the original question? What is a game developer? What is a studio? I think a studio is a means to an end. Like you've got developers and the developers have their hearts in the right place. But I feel like it's kind of like that concept that you hear about called, you know, groupthink. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you get so many people together that inevitably it's going to sort of kind of cat or spiral out of control a little bit. And uh, just having the typical hierarchical structure that most businesses and corporations have, you're going to get bad leadership and you're going to get weird ideals that get imposed upon the, the whole through that. It's a tough question to answer. I don't know. I think you're maybe on the right track there. I, I, for some reason, whenever I was thinking about what a studio might be, you remember playing the game, uh, was it like telephone or whatever? Like where somebody whispers something in somebody's ear and they whisper it in somebody else's ear and yada, 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 until like you get from the first person to the last person. Then you have to say like, okay, so what did they say? And they have like a completely different message because it's gone through so many different people. I almost think of a studio like that. Like you've got somebody with real raw talent and passion and a vision, yada, yada, yada. And they have to direct it to, you know, they need somebody to do the sound. They need somebody to do the graphics. They need somebody to do the programming, you know, a million different tasks. There's going through a million different people. Some of these people are less passionate than others. Some of these people have families to support. Some of these people have their own personal problems to deal with. And then by the time you get through all these people, it's gone to what you would call like the corporate collective. That that's what a corporation is. That's what a studio is. It takes it's, it takes a little bit of essence from everybody that's involved, and because it's such a such a minuscule amount of very real people, it kind of draws out the worst. <laughs> you know, the more people that you have involved, arguably the the less conscious this corporate mentality is going to be. I don't know. I might be reaching really hard right now, but I feel like that could be a thing. Uh, but at the same time, there's been so much that's come out with like, have you, did you hear about 
what the Take Two interactive CEO said about monetization. No. He came under a lot of flack because, so like, his name's Strauss Zelnick, which is a heck of a name, but he uh, he came out and he basically was like, we're under monetizing our users, you know? And you can't say that and expect that you're going to get a positive response from fans. But it's just like, you know, that's the CEO. I don't really see him having, like, passion where it, belongs but then again i guess like you said it's a business you got to look at it from a business perspective you got to put food on the table i guess but the ceos typically get bigger cuts than you know the workers they get bigger bonuses from games that ship well yeah and i mean you could also like incorporate like even our own personal lives into this like i work at a nonprofit where you know i'm not on the front lines but i have to work with people that are on the front lines and I see two very different sides of the culture. You know, it's not a job that I'm especially passionate about, but I recognize that the people on the front lines probably are more passionate, and I'm probably more pra- uh, pragmatic because of what my role demands of me. And honestly, I, I prefer their passion to my pragmatism. And I, I feel like that's what's missing a lot of the times in like a lot of these video games and a lot of these uh, studios is the pragmatism, the need for the money, the need for the monetization overrides the yearning for artistic expression and fulfillment. It just feels like a different time. You know, you constantly hear, I feel like an old timer saying this, but I've heard several people say that, you know, games made in the 80s and the 90s feel way different than games made, even like the 2000s too. But in those eras, it feels different than now. Because we're in this big transition period where games are viewed as a service and they're releasing fewer games but releasing more patches and more DLC and it's just it's just a changing landscape. Maybe things will stabilize, maybe studios will figure out a way to hit a balance here, but as of right now, it's rubbing a lot of people wrong and I'm just I'm not really sure what the outlook's gonna be, but it's just a it's a weird time to be a developer i feel like or a weird time to be a studio or in a studio conglomerate and a weird time to be a gamer just weird all around weird time to be a podcaster <laughs> especially if you're on this podcast <laughs> it's the first time we injected humor into this episode you can tell we're rusty <laughs> and with that let's shame some people yeah let's 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 shame some people I've I've grown quite a stockpile of shameworthy names in our absence in our hiatus, and uh, decided to throw one on here. Overwatch player sounded quite regal, and his name was Reese's of Yore. I had to include him. I just had to because Reese's are my favorite candy, and he sounds regal as crap. So, oh god, um. I'm not going to call out any real-life figures. So Judge and I actually discovered something kind of cute earlier today. Uh, Skype, for anybody that didn't know this, has a subtitles option where it attempts to record in real time whatever it is you're saying. So once Judge and I discovered this, we spent a good hour, at least, maybe like two hours almost, we spent quite a while... uh, just playing around with that and trying to see just how accurate it could 
it could get and what um, words would be censored out. Fun fact, it censors out penis. It does not censor out vagina. Anyway, <laughs> don't look at me. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so I don't remember what exactly the conversation we were having was, but I think I said the phrase, are you kidding me? And uh, Skype transcribed that as Urschel Raymond Lee. So Urschel Raymond Lee is my name of shame, courtesy of Skype's <laughs> uh, subtitles. It's just so weird, too, because of the spelling. Urschel. Like, yeah, it's like there's got to be someone out there named that, and it's just like grabbing that name, and it's like, do you mean this? Sounds like it might have been like a member of the Confederate Army. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Robert E. Lee's redneck cousin. Urschel, get over here. <laughs> We got a war to fight. Oh God, we're about okay. To, we're we're about to approach really dangerous territory. It's too late. Let's get out of this. Okay, so we've got a couple of phrases of praise to to do. You gonna go first on this or me? I was playing Dead by Daylight as I frequently do, and I got um camped and killed, and I was. Mm, I think I was actually less salty than Cat was about this, but I was like, huh, well, I guess I've got a second while everybody else is still alive, so let me check out this killer's profile. And I looked at this person's profile. I don't remember what the killer's name was, but I remember the bio. And it was wise as fuck. So prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Prepare to be woke. <clears throat> If you think about it, a pancake is just crispy flour. My children, you have been woke. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten the context for this. <laughs> it makes it so much better because I'm just I'm I've got the images in my head, but yeah, it is freaking funny, is what it I mean, oh my god. <laughs> it's great. And the best part about that is because I still had so much time left before Cat died, I actually did think about it. And this killer was absolutely right. Pancake really is just crispy flour, if you think about it. It was worth you getting camped for. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, all right. So I've I've got to provide some context, too. So as you know, we talked about this earlier. Uh, we had a couple of new chapters come out for Dead by Daylight, and the most recent one introduced the Legion, and new survivor as well that I can't remember his name, but Jeff. he's freaking loud as crap. He's loud, really loud. They need to tweak his audio settings a little bit, but anyway, Crow was talking to us about this, Cat and I, and he mentioned that there was a new item. There was supposed to be a new item in the game, and he was asking us how to get the new item, and we were playing Overwatch while we were doing this, so... I just decided to try trolling him and BSing him, stringing him around for a bit, and he went along with it for probably about 10 or 15 minutes. And so I told him that the name of the item was called Orman's Eviscerating Spanker, uh, <laughs> and he believed it. I mean, he didn't even question it. He starts going, oh yeah, I'm going to look that up, and he's like typing, 
And I'm like, yeah, man, just, uh, and he's like, ah, oh, I can't find it. I don't know where it is. And it was like, oh, you got to go to the official dead by daylight wiki, man, go there and you'll search around and you'll find How it. How do you spell <laughs> and he, Yeah. And he was asking stuff like that. And, uh, he, he was trawling through the webs, webs looking for it. And, uh, he couldn't find it. He's like, I can't find anything about it. I was like, oh, you're just not looking hard enough, man. He goes about that point and, uh, that I realized you were fucking with me. Well, yeah. And then Kat was just like, you got to stop. You you can't keep doing this. And so she she gave it away and it was out of the bag, but it was funny. I should I should also provide some context. I was out of the country for about a week while like right before this happened. So I was uh, I was pretty out of touch with what had happened with uh, Dead by Daylight. <laughs> It was so funny. It, it sounded like it sounded like a believable name. We've got hillbilly attacking with propane. It wouldn't surprise me if one of these sadistic bastards had a spanker, an eviscerating spanker, Orman's eviscerating spanker. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh, it's now a recurring meme, so <laughs> it's great. That that's my that's my phrase of praise. All right. Well, shit. It's uh. Fucking one in the morning for me, but I guess we've I guess we did it. Yeah, we did it. We got back on track. Yay. <laughs> let's let's see if uh my editing skills are still up to snuff. Let's see if our two listeners are gonna show us some love. Okay. Okay, um oh, you know what I just remembered? We gotta do uh <laughs> we gotta do the uh the plug. Go nuts. Oh my god. Don't forget Spotify. Yeah. Oh, ooh. Oh Ooh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so So what does it mean to be a studio? Are you an underappreciated developer? Do you need money to fund your ventures? Do you need do you need the exposure of a fairly low viewed podcast? We can provide you all the exposure and none of the money. So if you feel this way, we (laughs) we want to hear from you. Please, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, you can do that in many different ways. So we've got this fancy pantsy email on our website. You got contact at podchodge.net. You can reach out to us there. We also have a fancy pantsy Twitter handle, which is at real podchodge. Not to be confused with at fake podchodge. We are at real podchodge. We got all them imitators out there, man. And uh, Crow kind of alluded to this, but big announcement. We are now on Spotify, so you can listen to your Charlie Puth and Maroon 5 and then... (laughs) Who the fuck is Charlie Puth? (laughs) You can... Okay. um... Look him up. (laughs) You can... uh... You can look up all them fancy records that you've been wanting to listen to all the time on Spotify, and then maybe if you feel inclined, you can listen to our sweet voices on there just by searching up Podchodge. We're on there. Mm, we're everywhere. Refreshing. You can hit us up on. You can. <laughs> you can hit us up on Spreaker. You can hit us up on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store. Uh, tune in. Basically, pick your poison. We're on it. Indulge at your own risk. Mmm, toxic. Sorry, I this need some is, sleep. Uh, <laughs> this is a good way to end this episode. Might have to cut out the last five minutes. Boo. Oh, well. With that, we uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, reach out to us. Prove to us that you're real. <laughs>
Hello? hurt someone. <laughs> Where are you? Oh, I'm cutting this out. All right. <laughs> so I'll uh this is the judge signing out. I'll catch you next week. This is the crow. Deuces. Later. <laughs>